the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. Eight minutes after 10 o'clock, hour number two is underway. Thanks for being with us on this Monday. It is the 15th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2021. I will go back to more of your stories of how you are going to be impacted by the Brandon administration's uh, mandate, even though the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has issued that stay. There is a halt on any imposition of that mandate. There are still companies who are going forward anyway. Why? Well, because of the mixed messaging. The Brandon administration, as recently as Friday, had the deputy press secretary out there saying, don't stop, don't slow down, keep doing it. And too many companies are afraid of an inevitable fine for not having employees jabbed by January 4th. They're ignoring the court and listening to the administration. So I want to hear from you. Are you going to take it? Are you going to um, put your... Uh, put your family's survival and your family's well-being ahead of your own personal feelings uh, about the shots? Or are you going to do what's right by your own medical freedom and put your family's uh, your family in jeopardy? It's an impossible choice. It's an impossible choice. But that is what the Biden administration has presented us with. We'll come back to you in a bit. But right now, I want to welcome to the program a uh, an extraordinary person. She is uh, one of the best columnists working. She's one of the best pundits working in uh, the political media today. Fox News contributor, senior editor at The Federalist, and noted author. Her latest book is one we better pay attention to if we want to take back the country in November of next year. It's called Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and Democrats Seized Our Elections. She is, of course, Molly Hemingway, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Molly, it's a pleasure to have you how are you this morning great it's wonderful to be here with you so this is such an ex- ex- extraordinarily important issue um, and a lot of people are focusing on audit results in Arizona and they're looking at all kinds of other challenges um, 
we are poised. I'm sure you saw the news today. Uh, we have, when I say we, I'm talking about conservative Americans, not necessarily the Republican Party. But we have an extraordinary uh, uh, push for a massive red wave to come 10, actually 11 months from now. Uh, perhaps the strongest in 40 years. And all of that will give us control of the House. It'll give us control of the Senate. We'll be able to limit the damage that the Brandon administration can do, but only if we have free and fair elections next time around. And that's why it's so important to look back at the 2020 election, which your book does. So give us a bit of a primer, Molly Hemingway, on what you found in your research for this book about the true um, uh, issue of the 2020 election being rigged. Well, I wanted to look at the 2020 election in part because right after the election in you know major media, you weren't allowed to talk about it, even though it was clear that we had experienced an election unlike anyone in our history. And mostly what I mean by that is that we had a massive increase in mail-in balloting where we flooded the zone with tens of millions of mail-in ballots at the same exact time that we decreased or even in some cases eliminated scrutiny or the means to scrutinize those mail-in ballots. And it created chaos and confusion in in a month-long election season, which included weeks of finding out you know, how many people had voted, much less who they had voted for. And so I wanted to look into all of those changes and how they affected uh, the integrity of elections. And clearly it was not an entirely positive uh, positive situation for people having confidence in the elections. But um, what I also found was that the left, as, as part of its effort to control the outcome of the election, had funneled $419 million of Mark Zuckerberg's money to overtake government election offices and bring in an army of left-wing activists to basically run the Democratic Party's get-out-the-vote operation from inside the government. They were targeting Democratic voter groups to register to vote, to make sure that they voted, to you know design the ballots, translate the ballots, cure the ballots, which is where you fix any problems that a voter has, uh, an ostensible voter has made, um, count the ballots. They took over the whole operation in blue cities and counties in swing states. And that's what affected the outcome of the election. And it was, you know, it was pretty shocking to learn about what they did. Molly, we're talking with Molly Hemingway, whose book is Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections. You know, every time someone like you or, or uh, you know, commentators, you know, bring these charges or bring these facts, quite frankly, to light, the response from the left is, hey, if that was true, it would have been proven in court. You lost in court 70-some times, or you didn't even get it to court because there was no basis for the char- or for the uh, uh, the suits that were brought. Uh, they continue to say that all of the stuff that you just li- uh, listed is, is fake. It's part of the big lie. How do you respond to that? That's just, um, it's an inaccurate way to describe the role that the courts played in changing our election laws or in scrutinizing those changes. So first off, it's actually just not true. The years leading up to the 2020 election were full of lawsuits. So the Democratic Party has had a massive operation to change voting laws going back decades. It's a, it's a heavily funded and heavily operated sphere for them to do their work. I do not quite understand why Republicans have been so behind the ball, given how much time and energy Democrats have focused on it. So they're, the guy who ran their operation to change voting laws and create this chaos and confusion is a lawyer named Mark Elias. His partner was just indicted as part of their work 
they ran, uh, he, he ran the Russia collusion hoax of 2016. He's the guy who hired the people who made up the fake dossier. So he is a big power player. He hurt the 2016 election with that lie that Donald Trump was colluding with Russia to steal the election. And then he ran this operation to change all the voting laws. And sometimes those changes would be legal and constitutional. They need to go through a state legislature to be legal and constitutional. A lot of times he would do something called sue and settle. And that's where he would sue a friendly secretary of state or friendly AG and say, I want you to, like, drop all scrutiny of mail-in ballots. And they'd say, okay, we'll settle with you and agree to your list of demands. That was not done in a constitutional or legal manner. So you had the Republicans suing all over the place uh, to counter some of these efforts, and they had success in many states. And had they not had their success, it would have been um, an even weirder election. But um, the other thing is that the courts just don't like to get involved in election disputes at all. So before the election, they would frequently say, oh, it's too soon before the election to weigh in, or we, we can't determine whether there's harm because the election hasn't happened yet. And then after the election, they'd say, oh, well, this issue is moot because the election already happened. You have a lot of judges. I mean, they didn't hold the, hold, they didn't win, but a lot of judges, including Alito, Thomas, Kavanaugh, complaining about the way that the courts, up to and including the Supreme Court, had been kind of derelict in their duties. Because with all of these changes and the chaos it created, you needed to have counties understand how to follow the law. And you would have a Democrat county follow the law one way, a Republican county following it as it was written. And it created it created a mess, and it actually affected various elections, like in Pennsylvania and other states. Molly, if we weren't doing radio right now, you and my listeners could see the how red my face is getting right now because I'm so enraged at some of what you just said, particularly what Mark Elias was able to get away with, and particularly what you just described with the courts being being derelict in their duty. Uh, this is this is astounding, and and we knew some of this, but to to hear it in the detail that you're sharing with us right now, it's enraging, and that makes me want to look from back to forward. Now we're talking with Molly Hemingway, her book Rigged. How the Media, Big Tech, and Democrats Seized Our Elections. I would dare call must-read if you want to understand what happened so that, Molly, we can look forward to, again, 11 months from now. Next November um, is, is you know, the chance to, to undo some of this damage. Are you confident that the new election laws or strengthened election laws that we've seen in, I don't know how many, I don't have the exact number, it's a dozen to a dozen and a half states, that they have put into place in order to stop some of what we saw in 2020. Are you confident that that will be enough for us to have a free outcome of elections next November? Well, I think the way to look at it is I'm not confident, but I don't want people to despair. The thing is, elections are so important that you need to be on top of them every single time. And what's really important, because the country has moved to this very sketchy you know, expansion of mail-in balloting, People need to understand that they need to have oversight of the process as much as possible. And that means being there when authorities take in the ballots, take in the envelopes and the ballots, and looking for anything that doesn't follow the law. We need a lot of volunteers to to be there day after day for the season of voting that we now have instead of the day of voting mm-hmm. that we used to have. And that is the most important thing. And then the other issue is that, yeah, some states have slightly strengthened the integrity of their system, by which I mean they've rolled back a little bit of the damage done in the lead up to 2020, but it's nowhere near enough. And, you know, just because Republicans might take the majority in Congress and the Senate, and I think they will, doesn't mean that these aren't still problems, because it is affecting 
you know, congressional races at the margin, and it's also affecting all the lower, the lower races and that are also important in states and localities. And so people just need to be giving their time, their money, their attention. If they care about the republic and they want it to continue, it won't continue unless you have free, fair, trustworthy, transparent elections. But that that goes back to us. We need to be the people observing and taking part in the process. That is, yeah, that is such important advice. And I mean, it's it's almost it should be a, just a a dictate to people. You need to. It's not a matter of hey, would you consider? You need to. We need to have volunteers in all of these locations, as Molly just said, throughout the entire electoral season. Molly Hemingway, um, we all know that universal mail-in balloting was implemented last year because of COVID, or at least that was their excuse that they used. California now has already said that's going to be the way we go for. Forever. Will there be a time where that becomes the, the, the rule or the law of the land federally? So I think no, it, it can't. I mean, that's just a, that, will, that would be a disaster, I think. But certainly there are states where they're going to do it, like California. But what's important is even if you do move to universal mail-in balloting, and I am not a fan, to do it slowly and in a measured way to make sure that it has as much integrity as, as possible and that can include requiring voter ID, which a lot of these states do not require, um, and just putting measures in place so that people can have oversight and having clear, consistent rules. Because one of the big problems, again, is the legislature will write a rule in a proper way. Like, it'll say, you need to date and sign the ballot. And a Republican county says, well, that means you need to date and sign the ballot or the envelope that the ballot's in. And a Democratic county would say, well, they meant, to, they meant to date it. They meant to sign it. And so even those few provisions you have to determine that the vote is actually coming from a real person, if they're not followed, they mean nothing. And um, again, just over time, we have moved all over the place with our voting laws. And we used to have voting that was uh, over a season. And in the 1850s, we moved it to one day for the presidential election because we knew it had led to fraud and problems in in an actual presidential election. And so uh, just because things are moving in one direction doesn't mean they can't move back um, in a better direction. And people should work to stay on top of all of it. We are talking with Molly Hemingway, Fox News contributor, senior editor at The Federalist, noted author. And I brought you here, uh, Molly, to talk about your book and to talk about election integrity. But I would be remiss if I didn't use uh, the opportunity here to ask you about the mandates. Just briefly, what what prediction do you have now that the Fifth Circuit has uh, clarified its reason for ordering the stay? They say there are severe constitutional and legal issues with the um, uh, Labor Department and OSHA issuing this mandate. Uh, Biden sent... Um, Biden sent to the, the deputy press secretary who was uh, in for the COVID while vaccinated Jen Psaki uh, to tell everybody, keep going. Don't worry about what the court said. Keep going anyway. When this reaches its, um, uh, you know, its end game, which will be in the Supreme Court, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think the law is actually pretty clear. And one of the things I loved about that Fifth Circuit decision, I saw that Kyle Duncan, Judge Kyle Duncan, had noted that Ron Klain, the chief of staff who's kind of running the Biden disaster, uh, had retweeted someone saying that this mandate was a way to work around the, the limitations of the law. And he was retweeting that favorably. And he, and he said, I think we need to highlight that they, they know they're breaking the law here. And I think the law, is, is strong, the law is strong enough that I pray that the court would interpret it accurately. Uh, but in addition to that, I think people need to resist unjust mandates and they need to be much stronger about it. I have been shocked that people have not been speaking out as much as they should about these attempts to seize power using COVID as an excuse um, that 
so many people in our government have done. And so I, you know, there's a big difference between saying you have feelings about the vaccine pro or con and saying that you, um, and mandate itself. You can have positive feelings about the vaccine, but still oppose the mandates as unconstitutional and unjust. And, and all good Americans actually should. Is, is, isn't it astounding, Molly Hemingway, uh, how they completely have just abandoned the entire herd immunity argument, which is what they used at the very beginning? Because when you count the number of people with natural immunity in this country who have been infected, who have natural antibodies, along with those who have done the vaccine route, we are well past what they said we needed for herd immunity. Now they've said the heck with that. Joe Biden said we need 98% of Americans to have this in order for us to return to normal. Yeah, that's insane. But it's also insane how these public health officials, quote-unquote public health officials, have lied about herd immunity the whole time. I mean, uh, I have no idea why Anthony Fauci is still employed. I mean, the least that should happen to him is that he should lose his job for his series of lies about herd immunity, about COVID transmission, about, you know, all sorts of things. He should not be in any position of communicating anything valid about, about the coronavirus Oh, about the um, funding of the gain-of-function research, all of these things. But the lies about how much, how many people would have to get vaccinated in order to have herd immunity have caused irreparable harm as well. And the fact that they're not talking about natural immunity when millions of people have had this virus and recovered, thanks be to God, is just scandalous. No, I, I I concur. And and Molly Hemingway, you have a much much larger platform than I do to bring this up. And I and I'm I seem to be the only person in media that I know of bringing this up. Anthony Fauci now has doubled down on his belief in communism as it pertains to public health. He said it, it to the uh, Canadian Broadcasting Company last month. You probably heard in which he said it's time for us to give up that which we think are our individual rights to make our own decisions for the betterment of society. That means state rights trump individual rights. That's straight-up communism. He said it again to Ted Koppel over the weekend. Did you hear it? In which he once again said, our individual rights, if we if, if we are uh, uh, looking at our individual rights as being more important than the, uh, 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 the decisions being made by, quote, society when it comes to uh, these mandatory vaccines, he said that is misplaced ideology. He continues to say, Molly, that the government has more rights over the people than the people do to run their government, which is, like I said, it's literal communism. And that's beyond his purview as a supposed public health official. Uh, but it's always been about power, and he's always been doing that. And he's actually been doing that for decades. I do not understand why he has the reputation he has, given how wrong he has been about so many different public health crises. Uh, but... Like I said, the least that should happen to him is that he loses his job. Completely agree. It's amazing that nobody is pointing out, though, the, the literal communism in his own words. Molly Hemingway's words are much better. They are in rigged how the media, big tech, and the Democrats seized our elections. It's an extraordinarily important read. Again, if you don't want to repeat the mistakes or the uh, intentional uh, uh, theft of office uh, from 2020, then you better prepare for 2022 by understanding this. Molly Hemingway, I really appreciate you coming on this morning. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Bye. Molly Hemingway from The Federalist, from Fox News, and again, that book, Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and Democrats Seized Our Elections. Quick time out. We are guest-free the rest of the way, so if you're on hold with your story about what you're going to do, if you are forced by your employer, thanks to Brandon's jab mandate, I want to hear from you. If you're on hold, stay there. If you're not on hold, get there, and we'll talk to you next.
1420. The answer. Okay, it's 1027 now. We'll continue. If you didn't know what I was talking about at the end of the conversation there with Molly Hemingway, uh, Anthony Fauci has doubled down on his communism. Uh, and again, I, uh, I hate to be redundant, but this cannot be stated enough because I'm not hearing enough people talk about this. The uh, leader of the uh, infectious disease research team in the federal government, the leader of the National Institute of Health, the man who helped fund the uh, uh, research in Wuhan that led to this disaster through gain-of-function research, the man who tortures and kills puppies for research in the most horrific of ways, um, the man is a communist. And he has expressed it on more than one occasion. The most recent, again, talking with the uh, old bones of Ted Koppel yesterday. The next day, the president saying, free Michigan, free Virginia. What, what, I, I didn't quite understand what the purpose of that was, except to put this misplaced perception about people's individual right to make a decision that supersedes the societal safety. That, to me, is one of the things that I think went awry in all of this. So your belief in your rights to make your own personal decisions, rather than listening to the orders of the government based on society's greater good, those are misplaced priorities misplaced sense of those rights he literally calls that misplaced perception about people's perception about people one more time to put this misplaced perception about people's individual right to make a decision your rights to make a decision on your own body medicine and what you put into it that's misplaced that's misplaced the greater good of society, as dictated and determined by the federal government, that's where the real power lies. And again, this is not the first time that he has said it. I've been playing this for you for over a month because it needs to be replayed again and again and again. Dr. Anthony Fauci, last month, in an interview with the Canadian Broadcast Company, once again declared his belief in communist ideology. To society. And I think each of us, particularly in the context of a pandemic that's killing millions of people, you have got to look at it and say there comes a time when you do have to give up what you consider your individual right of making your own decision for the greater good of society. And there it is. He said it once. He said it twice. And he's in charge right now of this federal government's response to COVID-19. Communism is that response. More of your phone calls right after the news. Keeping you vaccinated against the lies of the liberal media pandemic. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 1037. You know, one of the uh, comments that I made and questions that I asked Molly Hemingway um, last half hour was about herd immunity. This story is literally this morning in the, uh, let's see, this is M Live, Michigan Live, although I think this is an AP story. No, this is a Los Angeles Times story that was rerun in Michigan on the Michigan Live website. So, from the LA Times. Since the earliest days of the pandemic, 
there has been one collective goal for bringing it to an end, achieving herd immunity. That's when so many people are immune to a virus that it runs out of potential host to infect, causing an outbreak to sputter out. Many Americans embraced the novel farmyard phase, or farmyard phrase, excuse me, of herd immunity, and with it the protect, uh, projection that once 70 to 80 to 85 percent of the population was vaccinated against COVID-19, the virus would go away and the pandemic would be over. Now the herd is restless. And experts at the CDC have set aside herd immunity as a national goal. Now herd immunity isn't enough. Now everybody must get the profit jab. And it's at this point, of course, that we would start talking, if I had the stomach for it, about the massive amount of funding from the big pharmaceutical companies that are making billions of dollars every quarter. They're funding for CDC research and other medical labs. This is this is collusion of the highest order, all for politics and profit. Not prevention, but politics and profit. Dr. Jefferson Jones, medical officer with the CDC, and their epidemiology task force said, the prospects for meeting a clear herd immunity target are very complicated. Thinking that we'll be able to achieve some kind of threshold when there will be no more transmission of infections may not be possible. He said, and there's a reason why. Can, can you can you just say it with me now? The vaccines do not work. Can we be any more clear? Any more direct? The vaccine does not work. How do we know? Because of the CDC's own admission that even if vaccination were universal, meaning 100% of Americans had their vaccines, the coronavirus would still continue to spread. You get that? If 100% of Americans were vaccinated, the coronavirus would continue to spread. And that's because the coronavirus simply does not stop when it encounters the pseudo-experimental vaccines being pumped into people's arms as if they were real. They're not real. They're pseudo-vaccines. The RNA vaccines are not vaccines, which is why the CDC had to go onto their website and literally change the definition of the word vaccine and the word vaccinated. Because traditionally, what we have all understood those words to mean is once you get one of them, you are now immune from getting that particular virus. You are inoculated from infection. But now that we know that these vaccines do not inoculate you and prevent you from becoming infection, they had to redefine the word. So that's how we know. That's why herd immunity is out the window now. Once 75% or 80% of Americans get the vaccine, they're saying it's still going to be a pandemic because the vaccines don't stop the spread of COVID-19. Literally, they've been just lying to us from the very beginning, and the reality is seeping through now that even 100% isn't going to do it. You're going to be required after two, three, four months of being quote-unquote fully vaccinated to get a booster. And since that will fade after two, three, four months, and then another, and then another, and another, and you're going to be a nation 
a nation of perpetually drugged sheep. Because you don't know what they're putting in it each year, each each quarter, however long it's going to be. You're going to have four vaccines and, and three boosters, and they're still going to consider you non-vaccinated because you haven't gotten the, the, the most recent booster. What's in it? Shut up and roll up your sleeve. What's it intended to do? You be quiet or we'll give you a double jab. This is, this is just flat out frightening. Herd immunity out the window. Joe Biden said it's going to take 97 to 98% of us to be vaccinated before we can, quote, return to normal. The CDC says even then we won't be normal because the vaccines don't prevent infection. They only minimize, and I'll use air quotes for that, minimize the severity of symptoms and the possibility of death. And we know that is also not true, considering the new numbers that are coming out of the number of people who are dying with double vaccination, with co- dying with COVID and dying uh, and uh, w- while having been double vaccinated. Tanya is in Akron. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hold Tanya, down, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Tanya, go ahead. All right. Looks like Tanya didn't realize she was on or something, but we lost her. Mary Beth calling us from Worcester. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. I'm calling because I work for a hospital system up in the Cleveland area. Mm-hmm. And first, I want to say that um, with regards to talking to your doctor about getting the COVID vaccine or mm-hmm. jab or whatever, right. um, the physicians are being told that they have to recommend the vaccines to everybody, and then they risk losing their jobs if they don't do it. So the thing is, is you have to ask your physician off the record whether they really recommend the shot or not. And well, the second you're right. Thing I wanted- hold, hold on, hold on. I want to I I provide a testimonial to what you just said. I was recently seen by my doctor for having nothing to do with COVID. Uh, and um, in my appointment, this is two weeks ago? In two weeks ago, it was very, I didn't say the words off the record. But um, he asked me about the jab. He was looking through my medical records and saw that I had COVID last year, last November, in fact, 12 months ago. And he was asking me about that. And I said, yeah, and I have just antibodies flowing. And I told him what my antibodies count was nine months after infection, right? And he said, well, you're, mm-hmm. more, protect- you're more protected than anybody with a shot, right? And I said, exactly. Right. And we went on our way. So this is a guy who I promise you, like you said, has been instructed by his superiors his bosses to recommend the shot for everybody but he heard that i had covid he knew doggone well it was not necessary and he didn't even try well that's good but they're still recommending it and then the second thing is um all the hospital systems came out last week enforcing the mandate and the reason why that they have to enforce the mandate is because um the hospitals are being threatened with the loss of their medicare and their medicaid payments to the hospitals if their employees are not vaccinated. And I wasn't sure if you were aware of that. I have heard that too. Yep. I have heard that as one of the many coercions that is being used to force these yeah. uh, medical centers into, into compliance. Yeah. So even though we pay our, ta- our taxes pay for the Medicare and Medicaid that the hospitals receive, the Biden administration is going to hold it. And then you're going to have your hospitals going belly up or they're going to force the mandate. 
So. Yeah, and in the meantime, they're suffering short-staffed because of uh, you know a number yeah. of healthcare workers are are not willing to do this, or they're assigning Correct. their their healthcare workers to not be near patients. So you had a previous healthcare worker who said, uh, or his wife actually was uh, assigned to desk duty. She's not allowed to see patients because she's not vaccinated, and yet patient care suffers. Patient care slows. Correct. Uh, and and they're Correct. willing to do that. I'm glad right. you called. I appreciate that information, Mary Beth. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to Parma. Bob, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Robert, go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Uh, compelled to uh, support your position with regard to the uh, mandates for children that uh, is coming down the line. Uh, and uh, before, I wanted to also thank you for recommending um, uh, Mark King. Uh, he helped me get into a plan that will save me thousands of dollars should I need to... Uh, that's access great. it but anyway that is great news. Um, thank you uh just recently pfizer has admitted that they have changed the formulation of the jab for children to include a compound called tromethamine which is designed to stabilize people after a heart attack it's designed to reduce the blood acidity and and it replaces a phosphate buffered saline solution that was in the you know, previously in the adult form, so I mean that kind of gives you a little bit of uh, not a, not a real warm fuzzy feeling about their their confidence uh, in in the uh, you know the security of that vaccine, right? Particularly as it pertains to, to, to cardiac issues. Because right. we have seen more and more and more cases of heart inflammation in young people, particularly, uh, and we're talking teenagers, much less, you know, very young children who are now eligible for this Pfizer under emergency use authorization, this Pfizer uh, uh, pharma profit shot. Um, they they have legitimate and sincere concerns about the uh, uh, effect on young people's hearts. Myocarditis, pericarditis, and other situations are prevalent. And so you're right. They very secretly and very quietly slipped in this new um, element, if you will, this new ingredient into the shot that children are going to be getting in order to try to stave off these heart conditions that are developing, which is kind of what I meant when I said a few minutes ago. As they give you booster after booster after booster, who knows what they're slipping into it quietly and privately because they know full well the the dangers, but they won't announce it to alarm the public. Yeah, and Pfizer furthermore admitted that the number of participants in the current developmental program Mm -hmm. is too small to detect the, the potential risks of myocarditis or other long-term uh, safety, uh, uh, you know, issues in those participants that are five to eleven years old. Well, Bob, so, that's the reason why they the FDA granted the emergency use authorization so they can expand that pool to twenty-eight million to every child five to eleven in this country. They are the clinical trials. Hell, they admitted it in the FDA approval uh, vote on whether or not they were going to give this emergency use authorization, saying we won't know how safe it is for kids until we start giving it to kids. And not just a small you know, control sample group, but specifically to the general population of kids. That's why it was greenlit. The experiment is going on right now. And, par- and thanks for the call, Bob. Parents who take their kid by the hand and march them to any place, to who are 5 to 11 in particular, march them to any place and tell them to roll up their sleeves and take this shot because Big Bird did. These people are allowing their children to be used in science experiments. They have no idea, 
No idea what's going to happen to these children. None. In the short term, nor the long term. No idea. And they're doing it anyway. Why? Because they have been terrified by the most lethal, ridiculous propaganda campaign in American history. It's a propaganda campaign generated by the branded administration and, of course, advanced by legacy media, mainstream media, terrifying parents into thinking their kids are going to die or their kids are going to bring home the virus without even knowing it and grandma's going to die once the kid visits them at Thanksgiving. And so kids are being experimented on right now and parents are, be, are willingly being duped into participating in those experiments. This is the point that I labored to make to the uh, doctor that I spoke with from the National Something Something on Infectious Disease on Friday. Dr. William Schaffner, if you missed that interview, listen to it. Go to whkradio.com. Go to the podcast page, look for the Bob France Authority, and listen to Friday's interview with Dr. William Schaffner. It was a guy that I thought that was pitched to me as being anti-mandate. He was going to talk to us about the dangers of, of injecting your five-year-olds with this profit shot. And instead, he promoted all of it, promoted the mandates, promoted, promoted kids getting these shots, And uh, to say that we had words is an understatement. Check that interview out at whkradio.com. Right back after this. I have a text message, rather an email, I should say, an email that was actually sent to the radio station that says, I work for UH, and I am contracted to Southwest General Hospital. As of 1-4, January 4th, I am not on the schedule. There are 12 nurses who refuse to get the jab on night shift. That is pretty much the entire shift. I think the Medicare slash Medicaid money has a lot to do with the hospitals complying with the vaccine mandate. Not sure what I'll do, but I am not getting the jab. Most of my family isn't either. Signed, and I'm not going to read her name because I don't want her to feel any blowback from this. Uh, but um, thank you for that message, and I'm so sorry for what you are going through. That's how I opened the show this morning, and I'll finish it the same way. Tell me about your situation. Are you going to take it? And keep your job, or are you going to lose your job and stand up for what you believe is right for you medically? Uh, let's go back to it, and um, I seem to have lost my place here. Yeah, I most definitely have lost my place here. Tom is next? Thank you. I could not find it. Tom, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead. Hello, Tom. Bob. Yes, sir. Yes, I want to move your conversation forward on the herd immunity and the vaccination not helping that. Please. Um, did you did you see the article uh, last on uh, November fifteenth from Epoch that the uh, CD said that they have no record of natural immunity transmitted? I transmitting did. I COVID-19. did. Yes, I and did. That I think would blow everything out if people would be aware of that because if you can't transmit, if they're not transmitting it, they're not getting it a second time. They tried so, to cover their that, tracks. They tried to cover their yeah. tracks, Tom, by saying we haven't collected that data. It's not that there's not been anybody who's naturally vaccinated who hasn't infected anybody, but we didn't bother to collect the data. And now the response to that, which I'm sure you're aware, is there's a reason why they didn't collect that data, because they knew full well what it would show. 
It would show that if you're naturally vaxxed or naturally um, um, uh, uh, immune because of, of previous exposure and surviving and recovering from COVID-19, that you have no need for these jabs. You're not a danger to in, uh, infect other people. So they're, they're covering well, your tracks by that. I want to, okay, I want to make one more point to make it even worse. Sure. I have a friend um, this spring that had got COVID before he was vaccinated, got through the COVID, survived it, um, then took the vaccine. And then two months later, he got COVID again the second time. And the second time it was worse. So, you know, it's not scientific, but does the vaccine nullify natural immunity once you get it? There has been, you know, that has been the claim of a lot of of scientific researchers, medical researchers, since the beginning. That not only does the vac, thank you for the call, not only do these RNA vaccines not stop infection, which is proven, and they even admitted it's not going to stop infection, it's just going to lessen the symptoms and try to lessen the load on the hospitals, they said, right? Not only does it not stop infection, there has been evidence, and this is what they continue to study, that taking that vaccine actually makes you immunocompromised, that it literally lessens your ability to fight off infection if you have already developed the antibodies. It essentially works against the natural antibodies that you have. The mRNA vaccine works against the antibodies you have, making your antibodies less able to fight off reinfection. And that is something that they have looked at from the very beginning, and they continue to produce more evidence of that. And by the way, if you're looking for real evidence, go to VAERS, because that is part of the adverse reports that continue to come in uh, from uh, people who have had the vaccine or the profit shots. Charlie is in Westlake. Charlie, go ahead. You're on the air. Hey, Bob. Thank God for your show. Uh, I, I want to applaud you and the, the Stovers, the Ohio Value voters, for getting that great information out to us last week. Oh, I'm glad you you attended that. Everyone says, it's not a vaccine. It's some sort of a therapeutic. People are spreading it because they're not getting sick, but they've got the virus in them. When you get sick, you go to bed. These people are spreading it. This is, you know, they're, they're saying we're the enemy for not getting vaccinated. I think they're the enemy for spreading it around. Well, and, you know, the re- the rea- thank you for the call, Charlie. The reality of it is, again, those who are vaccinated are no better than the unvaccinated when it comes to the threat of spreading that virus. You're exactly right. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.